everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for me. So there you go. Um, joining us tonight is a gentleman who you could say um, if he was a prince, he might be a bit charming. If he was a thief, he might be a bit dangerous. If he was making a board game about up-to-date princesses, he'd maybe be a bit of both. Maybe a little bit charmed, maybe a little bit dangerous. Um, Because joining me from Third World Studios, I have got David Rodriguez. Hello, sir. Hello, Richard. Thanks for having me on. No, you're very, very, very welcome. Um, You've got your um, Kickstarter for Charmed and Dangerous, which is a princess adventure game, which is running on Kickstarter just now. Um, it's been running. Um, it's been running for a couple of weeks. It is yep. kind of fully funded and then some. Um, so, what's the what's the mood like in camp at the moment? You must be happy. You must be excited. Yeah, we're really excited because now we're able to move past the initial game and start introducing people to the extra content that we developed like the other princesses and villain villainesses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a full expansion all sort of kitted out and ready for a little bit of a later release. And now we can start getting people excited about that. Okay. One of the things we like to do on the show is we like to, it's all very well. You can come on and tell us all about your Kickstarter, but we want to find out, you know, when you were growing up, if you were actually the prince, you know, or the princess, <laughs> you know, and um, how you kind of got into the hobby in the first place, okay? So we want to have a look at the the once upon a time of the past. We want to have a look into the the big bad castle of the present before we look onto the happily ever after of the future. So you want to okay. tell us about how <laughs> it's this bad, David, you're just going to have to deal with it. Oh, no, I mean, um, we can wanna... do this. <laughs> High energy. Um, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit? Of... <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the hobby? Um, well, so I've been making games uh, for almost 20 years now, just in lots of different versions. And so mm-hmm. I got into gaming, I think my first major into like the this kind of gaming was the red box I got from my uncle's house. I found it on one of the shelves, the the original Dungeon Dragons red box. And he was done with it, I guess. And so he said, you can take that home. And so I took it home and I ran myself through the solo adventure. Um, I'm going to tell you that I cheated a little bit because the rust monster got me uh, a couple of times. But uh, that was sort of my introduction into gaming and then, you know, writing your own adventures after that. And then sort of 
meeting people and developing systems and then doing games and then kind of moving into doing games professionally after college. And uh, we released a board game based on one of the comics that I wrote a few years ago called Arcane Academy, which was pretty well received and worked Mm -hmm. with um, Eric Lang and Kevin Wilson on that. And this is really the first, um, I would say, you know, tabletop game that I produced on my own as like the project manager and assembling the team and assembling everybody and getting them together and just really excited to finally get it out. It's we've been working on it for several years and then just looking for the right time and the right team to kind of launch it. And we were just, you know, really glad that we finally get to do it. Have you always been quite a creative person? I mean, when you were at kind of like school, high school, were you always a person if you gave you, you know, if you you got a row in class because you were the type of person who used to doodle on the textbooks and you weren't just, you know, you're drawing kind of sp- entire space stations on the back of pieces of paper and yeah, the, uh, things like that. So when I was younger, I always wanted to be a I wanted to be a comic book artist, and so I would draw on every piece of paper yeah. we had, read every book yeah. that we had, and so I was constantly reading and writing and drawing ever since I was probably four or five years old. And so that's always been the space that I wanted to work in. And I'm really lucky that I get to do it now. But my, even in college, I was studying musical theater and directing and writing and that sort of thing. What kind of, um, your comic kind of book heroes, who were the guys that you, guys and girls that you kind of looked up to at the time? Back then, I didn't really know, when I first started drawing, I didn't really know the names of the comic artists as much back then. But now Mm -hmm. that I'm older... I go back and I see like Jose Garcia Lopez who did all the designs for the original superpowers. Like I loved his artwork, uh, John Romita senior, John Buscema, uh, John Byrne and reading his dark Phoenix saga, like that artwork. I remember trying to copy as much of that as possible and Mike Zek. And then of course, growing up in the nineties, you get introduced to all of those, the superstar artists that kind of came out of the nineties, like Liefeld and Jim Lee and Silvestri and things like that. And so that was kind of when I hit the peak of wanting to do comics. And then at some point realized that my art would never be enough for like, it would never reach the level that I wanted it to. And so I started really just focusing on the writing and directing and things like that. So you did musical theater. Was it musical theater direction that you went into or, you know, can you hold a tune, David? I mean, you know, (laughs) well, back in the day I did, I was a musical. I performed a lot of, and a lot of them in college. And then as part of the program, we were able to do student shows and direct. Uh-huh. And I wrote my own shows and directed my own shows in college. What what kind of musical show? I used to do musical. I used to do musical theater. Oh, really? So I'm quite happy to have, co- yeah. You know, what <laughs> kind of shows did you? Um, we could so just put I the would, game to one side and we can just, yeah, let's, you know, we, talk, just man, talk, we should We should have just made a game about it's musical It's funded theater. anyway. It doesn't matter. You know, the people are still going to continue. <laughs> They will get the game now. Um, I think one of the favorite shows I was in, I was in Little Shop of Horrors. I loved doing that. So I was Look Audrey 2. I was or the voice of the plant. Did I you was. get to do the hand puppet? Did they give you a hand puppet to do? Or Oh, I was, no, there was another actor inside the, like being the puppet. And I was in a booth doing the voice. And so it was my introduction to voice acting was, was the, being the uh. plant in that one. Um, did a lot of shows. There was um, Allegro I was in. I'm trying to think of what the musicals were. Pajama Game. Uh, oh, yeah. What else? Um, 
Did you do the bit? Did you do things like Jesus Christ Superstar, West Side Story? We didn't do that. We did Godspell. That was a really good show that I enjoyed being in. What did you do in God? Did you? I was Jesus in Godspell. You were well. I killed you in Godspell. It was fantastic. (laughs) I had a great part in that. That was the. That was like fifty-two pages of ad, of um, of uh, lib that I had to learn, and I ended up adding on an ad at the beginning and probably ad libbing a lot of oh, it. Oh wow! My 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 portrayal of Jesus was he he had probably slightly different instructions to the <laughs> New Testament by the time right. it came out of my head. Was that your favorite um, show? Um, that Blood Brothers. I don't know if you've ever. I've heard of Blood Brothers. I've never oh, Blood. seen Blood Brothers, but I don't know how well Blood Brothers would transfer across the pond because it's a very kind of UK-based show. The sh- the songs mm-hmm. in it are absolutely fantastic, but it's very much a kind of a, I guess a kind of a a musical of its time. So it's got yeah. a lot of social economical kind of very UK-based type of stuff i guess so it'd be an interesting one to kind of come across but yeah godspell was a good godspell was i think was one of the first major parts i did but it was kind of had such great music in that show too i love that music i just always it always gets kind of put to one side i don't know if like jesus christ superstar kind of took took it over from it and kind of pummeled it a bit into the ground and it's always seen as you know as soon as you mention you know that type of musical. Everybody goes, "Jesus Christ, superstar!" But I always, right. I loved Godspell. I really, really like oh, Godspell. I, I side with you on that one. I will choose Godspell over Jesus Christ, superstar. Well, there you go. Um, but you said you moved into directing. You were doing a bit yeah. of kind of writing as well. Um, when you left college, what were the kind mm-hmm. of decisions that you had? What did you decide to kind of go into then after that? I sort of didn't decide because I didn't know exactly. I knew I wanted to create things, but there's not mm-hmm. coming out of college. You don't, I didn't want to get into the whole, um, the part of theater that I liked the most was not the going out on the auditioning and the, you know, the sort of cattle calls and that sort of thing. I really liked the writing and directing part. There's not a lot of call for that right out of college. And so I did a lot of different things. Like I rented cars and mm-hmm. I was a substitute drama teacher And then I found out, um, so this was back before they had uh, schools for video games. And I found out from my future brother-in-law that there was a small studio, um, like an independent studio just outside Chicago that was looking for game designers. Mm -hmm. And so I submitted my original game designs. So I did the test online and sent in writing samples. And I got... um, I want to say it was like three or four months later, I called it for an interview and was hired as a associate designer on ground control, dark conspiracy, very elaborate title for our video game. (laughs) And I did mission design and wrote all the scripts and cinematics for that, that game. And that's kind of what started my career in, in games and professional games. But that was a lot of the skills I learned in musical theater and directing and writing are things that I applied, like working with a team working with artists, um, putting together projects, and really just what they teach you in theater is like how to close, right? Because no matter yeah. what, the date doesn't move, and you have to get the people together, you have to get all the stuff yeah. ready, and you have to ship it. And that's one of the the things where I'm, whenever I'm talking to students or I'm talking to younger people who want to get into games, I'm just telling them to make something and finish it. 
because finishing is so much a part of the job. And I yeah. think it's a lot, it's a place where I see a lot of people, they have the ideas and they have the energy, but then you get to that middle part where you have to move on pure, like you just have to grind it out and you don't have that spark anymore. You're just pushing to get to the end of it. Yeah. And then you get over that hump and you get to the end and it's exciting to close. But um, I see a lot of people fall off in the middle and then their projects just kind of wither. And that's one <laughs> that's, of the things I learned yeah. the most from. Yeah, it's um, kind of strange because I have a pinned tweet which went viral, which kind of, I just basically said, look, the first thing you're ever going to do is going to be pretty awful. But yeah. you can't <laughs> you can't make your 50th version of something if you haven't right. made your first version of it if you haven't kind of finished, which is kind of strange, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's getting copied all across the internet. But um, I'm not seeing the kind of the tabletop board game side of things. I mean, I'm hearing musical theatre. I'm hearing yeah. kind of video game design was the board game thing. Did that kind of start off as a as a kind of like the tabletop stuff as like a hobby for you? That then? was you really, kind of yeah. Back then, that was my gateway into making my own content, right? Like making your own mm -hmm. adventures, writing your own system. I think we mm -hmm. I myself and some friends we wrote like an entire world and gaming system for a larp because i'm dating myself now saying we did a larp back in college and so we, we did those sorts of things because we wanted to make our own games and play our own games and then yeah. um getting the job to do it in video games was great but then the reason i started moving into like writing my own comics and then doing games and kind of just moving back into that space over the last five years is the level of ownership you have over the board game and being able to see that vision through the end is much more realized in a board game than it is in a video game, which is such a huge collaborative process. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, yeah. that's really why I'm really enjoying the space. And I just get such great energy from the, the board game and card game community, like going to Gen Con is started off as a vacation for me just because I love being there and being around those mm. people. And then we would have our, we had our comic book booth there, which was doing quite well. And we started looking at, can we kind of move into using the stuff that we like about our products, Arcane Academy is based on a comic and moving it into sharing that with the board game community who were buying the books and wanted to say like, this should be a game or this would be really cool mm. if it was a game. And so that's how third world kind of, Myself and Thurl started moving into that space. They're developing a stuff of Legend Game, which is based on one of their books also. But Charmed and Dangerous is my first whole cloth, not based on a comic or anything else. Just, I mean, it is based on fairy tales, so I guess it's not purely original. <laughs> there is a, there is an IP behind it. But, I was uh, going <laughs> to go, where's he going with this? I mean, I've definitely, yeah. definitely I've heard seen, of White, right? seen of these kind of these characters yeah. before. But, uh, you know, don't, we don't have our own property ahead of time. Yeah, I think um, it's difficult to create your own property and make it grounded and believable. And it's sometimes easier to take something that everybody knows and put your own kind of representation and spin on it. Because for every for every IP that kind of works, there must be about another five or ten where they just. Right. It just the kind of the, the names don't work or the characters don't work. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. here's Volparth the Magnificent, and you're like going, yeah, he could be no. anything. Like, 
What's he coming from? <laughs> it's a hamburger yeah. with an axe. It's like what's yeah, what's going what, what's what's going on? Um, do you play games on a regular basis? Then kind of being involved, yeah. are you always? Are you still trying to kind of maintain a foot in the hobby and enjoy the hobby, as mm-hmm. opposed to try and make, kind of turn it into a business side of things for yourself? Yeah, we. Um, so I'm fortunate in that I get. We have a ton of people at work who play board games. We play at mm-hmm. lunch or we'll play after work. And I have my regular Thursday night game, which, you know, we'll play RPGs or we'll go through board games. Um, when we moved into my new house, I wanted to make sure we had a space just so that we could play games. And I would say now I probably collect more games than I get to play just out of the sheer amount of time. But we try to keep up. Uh, I think you're a board gamer then. <laughs> yeah. I have so many. I'm like, well, I'm going to open this one soon. It's going to happen. But it is, uh, I do try to keep up with as much of it as I can. And we find lots of games. Every year I find a new game at Gen Con that becomes one of my weird favorites. Like um, I brought, we were were playing Hail Hydra for a long time just because Mm -hmm. I love Marvel. And it's a nice twist on the whole, you know, secret Hitler style of who's Hydra and I, would uh no matter what happened is if i had captain america everybody thought i was hydra because it was right around that whole you know oh, yeah. hydra cap situation and so no, even if i wasn't hydra i was like you're the one we know it and so i was allowed <laughs> on any missions it's terrible <laughs> just automatically you're just like that yes. it's you and so you're I just like, like yeah it's me okay yeah it's me um, it's i'm hydra <laughs> every time I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, you mentioned obviously with the video games having con, not you get less con, create, kind of creative control over kind of like your own your own kind of projects. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's maybe because anybody can kind of put a game out there? Do you think there's maybe too many games kind of going out there at the moment? I mean, has it? For you actually putting a game out there, how how easy have you found it to create the noise, to create kind of like interest in the project before mm-hmm. it kind of even went to Kickstarter based on the fact that there doesn't seem to be a quiet time on Kickstarter now. There always no. seems to be a, a ton of games kind of coming out. So I have found it to be um, harder than I think I was hoping for people to you know hear about the game and know about it um i don't know if i know if i feel there's too many games yet because i do i do like the fact that the barrier of entry is is much lower both for Mm -hmm. you know video games and board games because i feel like no matter what the trade-off for that is that the the chances and the innovations are going to come from everybody having that access and so like lots of cool ideas and all of that stuff that comes from more people having access and it's not being kept from them and so the all the video game tools that are out there allowing people to like make things and come up with something creative that a corporation maybe wouldn't bet on and so i do that is one thing i do like but like you were saying it does make it harder to kind of penetrate that noise to to let people let people see what is going on um, but we've been lucky that a few, you know, notable people have taken, you know, notice of the game and mm-hmm. reached out to us to ask for a copy. And I think um, no matter what, as as long as you're putting out something that you're excited by and that you can like get in front of people, that I think you know it's been worthwhile. 
Let's um, twenty minutes in. Let's actually talk about the game. Sure. Let's let's try that. <laughs> let's try. Let's try that. Okay. I mean, is there? Is this version of the game, is this the final version of the game? I mean, is this going through kind of multiple kind of variations? Is there a charmed and dangerous kind of sitting in a notepad somewhere that looks nothing like oh, yeah. what's on Kickstarter just now? Yeah. There is a, there's a lot of versions. So our designer, uh, Rob Gallarani, he came up with, I want to say the initial structure, though, is the same. The idea of the faux grid and the princesses and trying to work your way through that grid to get to the villainous like that's been there in the be- since the beginning mm-hmm. but a lot of the versions that we've gone through were like playing with the abilities and for me the most important part of like the game and the structure and the engine has to work but what ties it all together is that there needs to be a theme that you can wrap your head around and it makes it makes sense for what you're doing mm-hmm. and so it's not so abstracted and making sure that the princess's abilities reflected something about them as a character and wasn't just a random power that we assigned to them. And the, uh, so like, for instance, you have the faux grid and there's the version where you're attacking, you know, the dark fairy. And so mm-hmm. all the backs of the layer that is attached to that one are thorns, right? The wall of thorns that they raise in the yeah. classic sleep beauty story. And so like one of the abilities is that no matter how many enemies you clear, Every time the layer goes, it refills all the spots because it's supposed to symbolize the spreading thorns and how it's yeah. impossible to hack through, and it's just feeling overwhelming. Um, and then if you're fighting the monsters in the gingerbread cottage forest, that story talks about being lost in that forest. And so there's abilities that let you peek at cards so that you can get a sense of where dangerous things are. But mm-hmm. every now and again, the layer will shuffle those cards around so now you don't know where they are. It's like being lost in the forest. And so we tried to spend a lot of time on theming to making sure that it wasn't just fun, but that it was linked to like the stories that you, that you remember growing up. Was the stuff that's on the cutting room floor that you've kind of, you've not exactly thrown away, but you've kept for maybe other kind of game ideas as part of the kind of creative process? Um, I think for us, what we did was kind of move them into ideas for expansions right. and other things that we thought would be too complicated to kind of absorb at the first launch of the game. Like there was uh, a version of Cinderella that essentially transformed, like she had her, you know, pre makeover version and her post version. And yeah. she was the only character that had that. And so it was just, that's a, it was another complicated mechanic that we didn't want to toss into the game right away. We really wanted this game to be, have a lot of accessibility um, to start with, but then once you start playing to make sure there's a lot of interesting choices. But so Cinderella's, you know, super like slipper uh, power is still there. It's just kind of in a chart somewhere and not, mm-hmm. not being used at the moment. And, um, but I don't think at the moment we've talked about what, like other games, we just kind of looked at what are other cool things we can do mm-hmm. with the processes and their abilities and things like that. Are you tempted because it's well-known kind of princess stories to kind of base the powers around the known elements rather than maybe bring your own twist on things? If you know what I mean. You, you know, as I say, you yeah. mentioned Cinderella. Is it like, well... She'll obviously be able to kind of use her slippers to use kind of magic, you know. If it's going to be mm-hmm. kind of Snow White, 
does that mean she has the power of woodland animals and song? <laughs> you know, to so kind we of try help to. Kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. And what we tried to do was look at the characters because we reinterpreted the characters quite a bit. So Snow mm. White has um, Sora gave her, we gave her more of an Asian background and she's mm. a ranger hunter type character. Mm-hmm. So um, her first ability that she has, you know, like the thing about Cinderella, she's supposed to be the fairest of them all sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But then how do you turn that into a game mechanic that makes sense, but kind of reflects her, her fairy tale history was, um, she can choose any ability, like any of the four facet abilities, like the stats and look at any of the other princesses. And if theirs is a three, hers is a four, because no matter what ability she chooses, she's always one better than every princess on the board because she's fair. But she also has the bow. And so what we did was make that, um, a poison arrow, which isn't in the story, but just still pulls an aspect of that character forward about poison and that sort of thing and that she can use to like snipe enemies and do things like that and so sometimes it just flavors it and sometimes it's a more direct play on the words that dealt with their fairy tale but we really tried to stay at least true to both the original character and our interpretation of them when we were designing their abilities yeah i mean you've gone for a fairly kind of a diverse kind of cast as well yeah, that's our that was our goal starting out. Because yeah, I mean yeah, it's kind of it kind of makes it different. It gives it kind of like a different spin as on as well. And um, was that like a conscious thing from the beginning to say right if we're going to do this and let's try and kind of kind of modernize it as much as possible, but make it kind of give it as a as broad appeal kind of as possible too. Yeah, that was a goal we had when we were starting out. And especially with Sora, she really wanted to, um, she came up with a lot of the ideas for what directions we could take some of these characters. And mm-hmm. for Cinderella specifically, her original story, like the earliest Cinderella story is a Greek-Egyptian story. Mm-hmm. And so like her styling is, you know, making her uh, more in the Egyptian kind of like, the look and ethnicity to her and then kind of playing on that in her, Mm -hmm. in her bio Um, for Briar Rose, changing her to Briar Rosa. That's not in her story, but we really just wanted to say like, what would that look like from that, you know, from more of a, you know, Latinx sort of background and giving her that day of the dead sort of situation and then playing with that as a necromancer and all those sorts of things. And so we try to think through all the characters to think, how do we reimagine them for an audience because one of our goals is that every player can see themselves reflected back and try to like yeah. do something differently to an audience that doesn't really get a lot of games sort of dedicated to them, right? Where there's not a lot of yeah. complete female cast games that exist. And that was a goal like setting out that when uh, we first started talking about the game and we brought Sora on board and Rob has two daughters and there's not a lot of games that are you know, there are princess games, but not games yeah, of this, know, like yeah. genre of like this, like grinding RPG adventure princess game. And that was uh, something we really wanted to do something different with. Yeah. Yeah. I take it. That was the same kind of decision with regards to, you know, generally the kind of the, 
games kind of aimed at a kind of a slightly older audience when they bring in princesses. They got a tendency to make sure that they didn't really spend much money in the dress shop, if you know what I mean. <laughs> there seems to be an awful lot of flesh on show. And again, was that something to say, well, there's potentially, you know, we want to kind of keep the age range kind of open as much as possible, but also just if you've got a, a woman as a, a main character, she actually needs to be able to go out in the rain and not get soaking wet <laughs> kind of thing. Yes. Well, one of the things, um, so there's some assumptions that I probably make as a, you know, a male that mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that the perspective being shown was a woman's perspective on the characters. And so Sora as the art director um, had a lot of latitude in making the characters. And all I, I think the only direction I really gave was things like, um, maybe that's a little too much sexy. Can we turn it down? Like we wanted to keep mm. it PG 13. Like that was kind of our goal for those yeah. things, but still make them, um, still make them feel attractive and powerful and, you know, do different body types and all of those things. And we really weren't trying to make us like a game that capitalized on sex appeal. We wanted it to be about, um, you know, the, these like powerful female characters in the game. Yeah. I think nowadays, if you're kind of going for the sexy princess angle, there's a lot more people that are going, nah, let's not, (laughs) let's let's not, let's not, Let's not take famous children's characters and sexualize them up. Thank you very much if you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, there's a place for it, you know, and I know people that appreciate it and things like that, and I'm not poo-pooing on them, but, you know, at the same time, sometimes it's nice to go the opposite direction. Let's just look at it kind of that way. In terms of gameplay, you know, in, in terms of gameplay, if I'm um, if I'm opening the box... I'm starting to get myself, you know, a game together of Charmed and Dangerous. What am I expecting? If I'm going to say to my friends, right, I'm bringing this to the table on Friday and they ask, what's it about? What's the kind of the gameplay? What's the main mechanics? What am I going to say to them, David? So you're going to say, we're going to be some badass princesses and you essentially have to fight your way through different, like either a dungeon or a haunted forest Mm. or other things. And we're going to hunt down the villainess and take her down. And in our way is going to be uh, monsters and traps and curses. And we're going to have to, you know, level up our characters so that we're strong enough to take out the evil villainess at the end of this adventure. And there's a really good chance she's going to kick our ass. So we may need to go. We may need to try more than once to take her down. So how's it based? Is it, I mean, do you play via cards? Are you using dice? Are you just, you know... It is uh, entirely card-based. So you have okay. a grid of enemies. You have your villainess who starts out hidden, and then she has mm-hmm. a lair. And so the lair and the foe decks are linked, so, but you can use any villainess with any foe deck. And then you each pick okay. your princess. Each princess, they follow standard RPG kind of, you know, structure where you have... Uh, like Briar Rose is a necromancer and her power allows her mm-hmm. to kind of go to sleep, which is a curse. But for her, it helps because she pulls cards from the discard pile. She brings them back into the oh, game. Right, okay. um, you have Gretel, who's our barbarian, our candy barbarian, and she's amazing, who can just, as long as she has charmings in her hand that she can discard, she can fight. So she like cleaves through hordes of enemies. You have Dorothy, who is the weather witch, 
who is really good at board upsetting. So if you don't like changing, changing the structure of the board and like moving enemies out of play and reshuffling and doing things like that. And then you have, mm-hmm. um, snow white who is your essentially your ranger slash sniper that you can use for the game and then of course we've unlocked cinderella who's the cleric who her power is all mm-hmm. about healing keeping people alive and doing things like that and then um Dokebi, who is based on a korean myth who is like your rogue and helps you like search out items and do things like that in the game and so each of you will have a different power that will keep try to keep you alive through the game each villainess has a different ability that they use on you throughout the game. And then um, as you're searching through the forest, you'll come across like what are called master strokes where the villainous will trigger a super ability, which devastates your team and hopefully you survive. And then, you know, enemies of varying power levels. When you defeat an enemy, you can sort of equip them under your tarot. Your princess is a larger card. It's a tarot sized mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the foes you can equip or find items, which level up your stats and make you strong enough to eventually take her on. So it's essentially a dungeon crawl game, just sometimes yeah. a dungeon forest. And have you kind of built in like almost like a campaign mode so people could play from kind of one challenge to the next? We have not introduced a campaign mode yet. They're all like a single adventure that uh-huh. you that you play through, but a campaign mode is one of those things you mentioned earlier that were like that's uh-huh. a bigger undertaking for this launch, so we're going to kind of put that in the in the hopper and see how we do with this early version first. And and how long is a game kind of taken? Is it a couple of hours? Or, you know, is it going to be done um, so before bedtime? Game, your first game will probably take you an hour, but after mm-hmm. you know what you're doing, you can they probably run about 30, 40 minutes for a single game, depending on the number of people you have. It's a pretty quick game. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And how many arguments have you had in the office about which princess is going to be next in the list of stretch goals? I mean, was Cinderella uh, your pick? Or, I mean, are you still sitting there waiting for your pick to actually turn up? Uh, my pick was Dorothy because I've, all, I've been a huge <laughs> fan of like the Oz stuff since I, was, since I was very little. But then Gretel quickly became my favorite, like just her design and... Yeah how she's used um, became one of my favorites, but we have like, we try to do a mix of familiar characters with mm-hmm. some, you know, off the wall choices like Gretel and, mm-hmm. and uh, Dorothy mixed in to kind of, you know, give, you know, a broader appeal and, and bring people in and introduce them to possible characters. And we have very like, like on our list, esoteric, like really like deep lore, I had to like ask people, I'm like, hey, if I asked you who Mombi was, would you know which villain that is? And they're like, I have no idea. Is that a guy from Pee Wee's Playhouse, I think? Was that who that was? <laughs> so in terms of the price of entry to get into the fairy princess mm-hmm. castle, how much is it to get across the drawbridge? Yeah. It is a, a pretty reasonable uh, $20. That's nothing to get the basic mm-hmm. version okay. of the game. Uh, so the our base pledge level is 20, and that comes with all the mm-hmm. stretch goals, like the extra princesses and other things that are unlocked. Um, and the other version we have is what we call the I Want Candy <laughs> version, which comes with a uh, very shiny foil slip right. cover of Gretel uh-huh. and candy over the box. 
and then in that version, all the princesses and villainesses are like hologram cards. So a slight, like a, you know, the fancy prettier version. And then that version, we just added all the unlocked princesses and villainesses will also be added as hologram cards to that pledge loop. That's cool. It's not, that's not, well, you can see the price of some games on Kickstarter nowadays. That's just, I mean, that's not even a Friday night kind of takeaway meal, is it? <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah, you can you can get in there pretty easily. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice price point, and uh, I think retail is going to be slightly like twenty four ninety nine. But for the Kickstarter, you're able to get it. Are you go? Are you taking this to retail? Then is that? Are you looking actively for kind of like distribution channels, or does it depend on kind of the outcome of the Kickstarter? I think no matter what, we'd like to take it mm-hmm. to distribution. Uh, we did the last game. We did Arcane Academy mm-hmm. through distribution, and we were. Um, you know, happy with that. And we have a lot of experience in getting product into distribution. Mm-hmm. So I would like to be able to do that with this game and the planned expansions. And there's just so much room for expansion in this game. And there's already people like, when are we going to get this princess? Yeah. Or when are we going to get this villainess? And everyone has their favorite. And so there is no, there is no, uh, uh, we have plenty of content to deliver and even if we just did everything that's on our spreadsheet we'd be busy for like three or four years that's kind of cool um in terms of kind of like for yourself kind of going forward have you got kind of other other projects i mean is there going to be is there, are we are we looking at a miniature game coming from me is there going to be other card games are you thinking about some kind of comic book kind of character so battling for- game kind of thing coming up well, from the publisher itself, they're working on a Stuff of Legend board game right, cool. with Kevin Wilson and Eric Lang also. And that one does have minis, and um, that'll be there'll be demos for that one. Um, we've done demos actually at PAX Unplugged and things like mm-hmm. that, and so that one is in the works. Right now I'm really mostly trying to you know, stay focused on this game to make sure that it's as well fleshed out as possible and it gets as much support as we can because we're not a huge team mm. and it's really easy for us to get if we get distracted by another shiny thing i don't want yeah. you know the charmed game to atrophy we really want to there's a lot i want to do with that and um people have asked about comic because i believe the art just sort of lends itself to wanting to see an adventure with those characters play out but yeah i think uh we'll have to hold off on that for a little while okay and see how we do with the game and see how demand goes okay um if people have listened along and they want to keep an eye on you on the internet webs where do you exist Mm -hmm. on the internet webs Uh, so I mostly exist on the internet webs. You can follow me on Twitter, mm-hmm. which is at Dave A. Rodriguez. Okay. On Twitter, we have a uh, Facebook page for Charmed and Dangerous okay. that you can follow also. And uh, I believe that's Charmed and Dangerous Game. And then we have a page on Board Game Geek that we'll be checking for people's questions and, you know, the inevitable uh, rules clarifications we will have to put out there uh, once the game goes live for timing issues and things like that. Okay, cool. I will make sure that we get all of those links, including the links to the Kickstarter campaign, and we'll put them in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. Um, I have one more question, okay? Okay. Okay, so the um, Sleeping Beauty, Aurora, 
she's pricked her finger. Okay. The okay. The evil witch has appeared, and she's decided to put everybody to sleep. She's going to be sending thorns round and round the castle. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have a chance to escape from the castle, and in the basement of the castle, there's probably the most largest and most extravagant collection of board games and card games that have ever been <laughs> gathered together. Um, uh-huh. You obviously are going to be escaping on your noble steed. Unfortunately, okay. there's only space for three board games to fit on the back of this horse oh, and take man. you to safety. Now, you can take okay. any game, and obviously, because of the magic... You can have as many expansions as you want. You can have as okay. any edition of any game that you want, okay? But you're only allowed a total of three games. Three games. What games, what three games do you take with you before the thorns overtake the castle and lock the place okay. in a deep sleep for a hundred years? No pressure at all. No pressure. I've got just the three games <laughs> I need forever. Um so for nostalgia, yes. entirely, I need to take uh, original Hero Quest with me. Of course, um, I just need that one. Um, and then, let me see, what else do I have? I enjoyed a lot over the last time that I think I need. Um, okay, so we said we have Hero Quest, and. I think right now, because I enjoy it so much with my friends and family, I would take code names. Okay. Um, just because we enjoy so much of that. And then I believe for my third game, and it's a little redundant mm-hmm. because it's the Hero Quest one, I think I would this is a toss up because I don't know that I like the game a lot. Okay. But I just I love I love the game, but I also don't like the game. This is going to make sense when I tell you that it's Talisman. Oh, oh okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> That's a bit controversial. Both... Which part? All of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I I don't know that I like the game, but I love the game. Like I are don't you, know how to process. Are you sure? How I feel are, about you, are you not maybe in shock that the fact that the entire castle is falling asleep around you and maybe that's fine? <laughs> you know, you can take those three with you. You know, you you just you jump over the drawbridge. Just in time for the All thorns right, cool. to take over the castle. You ride off into the sunset. You maybe play games for a little bit and then you come back and consider rescuing the princess or just realise she's a bit stuck up and annoying and just maybe leave her asleep for the next hundred years. Up to you. Up to you. <laughs> um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, go to the internet web, search for We're Not Wizards. You'll find us on the Twitters. You'll find us on the Facebooks. You'll find us on instagram as well we've got our website which is a we're not wizards.com we've got our blog which is we're not wizards.blogspot.com we're on youtube um you can find us on all those podcast catcher places that have got pod or cast in the title except for spotify which has just got spotify in the title um if you like us a lot there's two things you can do you can tell somebody else that we exist which is always nice or you can jump on to Apple Podcasts and you can leave us a rating or a review. If you are going to be leaving us a rating or a review, I implore you not to give us 10 stars because it just makes me so big-headed and, as you can tell, I'm rather annoying. But do not give us one star because, you know, under beneath this tough exterior beats, you know, 
you know, the heart of a gentle soul and you do not want to make me cry, so do not give us one star. Give us something in the middle, like five, because it's average. And we're just a little bit yeah, average. Yeah, that seems fair. That just, it does seem fair. But the person who's not it being does. average tonight is the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic, the prince charming among men, I give you, Mr. David <laughs> Rodriguez. <laughs> Thank you very, very much Thank for coming you on. so, so. much. It's there's, been awesome. Thank you. That was a great send-off. <laughs> there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember okay. that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, David? We are not. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from David. Say goodbye, David. Goodbye. It's been a pleasure. You're very, very welcome. Thank you for coming on. And it's a goodbye from me. Thank you. Remember, stay safe roll sixes, make something awful. And, um, you know, if you're feeling a little kind of wee, a bit charmed, if you're feeling a little bit dangerous, then there's a game on Kickstarter for you right now called Charmed and Dangerous. So there you go. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.